Hey, we're going to just turn, go straight to the scriptures this morning. Um, our scripture reading this morning is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 18. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to grab it. Um, if you don't have your Bible, use your phone. Like even go to Google and then type it in and then follow along with us. There's something about having the text um, in front of us. Uh, last week, Pastor Chuck kicked off our new series we're calling Me Culture. Um, if you ha hadn't noticed in our culture right now, um, the individual, the self, the almighty me has become front and center. It is the most important thing in our culture and continues to be. Today, everything in our society is crafted and highly tailored to the individual, to what we like, to what we dislike, to our political opinions, to our Netflix recommendations list. You know exactly what I'm talking about, by the way. Um, everything in our culture today is centered and focused on the almighty me. And there's these phrases that have begun to enter our vocabularies that we hear about and perhaps we even use ourselves as well that really emphasize this me culture thing that we're uh, living in. Uh, one phrase would be self-care. Self-care. It's like the new hot phrase. It's what people use these days. Self-care is a big deal. I would be willing to bet that five to ten years ago none of us had heard that phrase nor had we used it, but now self-care is a really big deal. We need to take care of ourselves physically, emotionally, spiritually. Self-care matters. And sometimes we even use the phrase self-care so that we don't have to do something for somebody else. You know what I'm talking about, right? I got to practice some self-care right now. I can't help you. You've done that. You've seen this most likely. Another phrase, uh, you deserve has entered the vocabulary. You deserve, right? Marketers, generously throw out that phrase when they're trying to sell us that new car or that bigger TV or the spa package or that vacation, right? You deserve those things, folks. You got to understand that you deserve it. Uh, you need all of those things. It's important that you get that you deserve. Um, the film industry is changing right now before our very eyes to fit into this me culture thing. Um, if there is a movie that is released and people say, I like that movie, Hollywood will make a sequel because the people demand it. And if that one is good, they will make a sequel to the sequel and then a sequel to the sequel to the sequel, right? Like how many Harry Potter movies do we need? I'm just saying there's a lot of them. There's like 10 or 12 or something. Um, I'm a superhero movie fan, which is no surprise. Um, and recently, um, HBO took a superhero movie that flopped at the box office and they said, hey, we're going to re-edit the movie and re-release it so that you like it more. We want the movie to look exactly like the individual wants it. And so they're going to re-edit the movie, The Justice League, in our image. Isn't that great? It's good news. The movie was bad, so hopefully it's a little bit better, I think. Um, in our culture, um, me comes first. My needs, my desires, my likes and dislikes, that is the focus of life in American culture. Now, this may be a huge surprise for some of us, but me culture, in many ways, is the antithesis of faith culture. Like, it's the opposite of faith culture. A me culture would say, you know, I am the VIP in life. I am the very important person. I expect that where I go. I expect things to be crafted to my desires. Faith culture says, no, Jesus is the most important person. 
Um, me culture would say, hey, the highest ideal in life is love of self, taking care of yourself, fulfilling your personal desires, making yourself happy. Faith culture would say, well, no, that's, that's not how it works. It's love of God. It's love of neighbor. That's the highest ideal. Now, for thousands of years, there have been these biblical virtues that have been a really big deal um, in the Christian world and followers of Jesus' lives, these virtues. And those virtues today have never been more absent in our society. And we would say the opposite of me culture are these virtues, these ancient virtues of the faith. And so in this series, that's what we want to get after. Um, last week, Pastor Chuck showed us um, the big three, faith, hope, and love. And this week, we're going to zero in on one of the lesser known one or lesser talked about ones. And that is the virtue of wisdom. Wisdom. Um, in Christian circles for thousands of years, um, the word prudence has been used. The virtue of prudence. The virtue of wisdom or prudence is in many ways the opposite of the me culture that we find ourselves in right now. So let's talk about wisdom. So our scripture reading this morning, like I said, is 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 18. If you have your Bible, please go ahead and follow along with me. Um, our scripture reader this morning is Ken Rodriguez. So Ken, when you're ready, you can head on up. And what we do here, as you already did, is we stand for the reading of God's word. I love that. You guys like got it down. But this is important, folks, that we did this just this moment, just like this, says something about, hey, this book matters to us. And that's exactly why we do this every week. So, Ken, when you are ready, take it away. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are be being saved is the power of God. For it was written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is a wise person? Where is a teacher of the law? Where is a philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Thanks, Ken. You all may take a seat, please. So uh, to start us off this morning, I want to start with a question. What in the world is wisdom? What is wisdom? If you were to define it, if you came up with your own definition, how would you say wisdom is wisdom? Like what in the world is wisdom? Um, if you think about it, it's sort of difficult for us to pin down and define exactly what we mean when we use the word wisdom. Um, in fact, in my life, I find it significantly easier to define what is not wisdom rather than what is wisdom. Um, and my life story has proven that again and again and again. I know exactly what not wisdom is. I'm not sure about what wisdom exactly is. Um, when I was a kid, uh, one of my best friends was my cousin. And my cousin and I were hanging out and we were in the woods enjoying ourselves as young boys. And 
one of the things we came uh, upon were these two giant sticks that were like six to eight feet long each. And we came up with this brilliant idea how we could use these sticks. We thought, what if we each picked one up and then we jousted each other? And so that's exactly what we did. We stood like facing apart from each other, like raised up our jousting sticks that we found in the woods and we came running at each other at full speed. And then I don't remember what happened after that. I know that I didn't win. That's what I do know. I remember I woke up on the ground, kind of dazed and confused, not really sure what happened. We would all admit that's the opposite of wisdom, right? Like I think we would. That's the opposite of wisdom. That's what wisdom is not. I'm also, when I was a kid, uh, my family would go putt-putt golfing a lot, right? We'd go and we'd, we'd go and play putt-putt golfing and I was really bad at it. I was really bad at it. And this particular day, I was very bad at it. I'd putt and you've had this probably happen to you before. You putt and the ball goes, misses the hole. Well, that's typical for me. And so you go and you putt again, you're a little closer. And then it hits the hole and then does a little spinny thing and then it shoots off away from the hole again. You know what I'm talking about? And so I'm putting around again and again and the ball will not get in the hole and I get really angry. And so I reach down and I grab the ball and then I throw the ball as hard as I can into the hole because that's going to fix it. Now, what, you, what I didn't know is under the green is concrete. And so when the ball comes down at 100 miles an hour, it also comes back up at 100 miles per hour and it hit me right in the forehead. Huge goose egg, Right. I believe that's the opposite of wisdom. That's what wisdom is not, right? Okay, but what is wisdom then? If that's not wisdom, what is wisdom? Um, there's a definition I found in a Bible dictionary that I like. It's called the Lexham Bible Dictionary. And this is how they define it. It'll be on the screen. It says, wisdom refers to practical skills associated with understanding and living a successful life. Wisdom refers to practical skills, practical skills associated with understanding and then actually living a successful life. Wisdom is living in such a way that one knows how to live and in fact does live the best kind of life possible, right? That would be the wise life. The wise life is the best life. Now, there's something important to understand about this and, and about wisdom. See, wisdom is, is something that no matter what we believe in the world, no matter if you're like, I'm a follower of Jesus, like I am in, I'm sold out to the Lord, or, or whether you're the kind of person that's like, I don't really believe in that stuff, or whether you're the kind of person that's like, I don't know that I really care, uh, it doesn't matter if you are a Republican, a Democrat, or someone that just hates it all. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if, if you're a white collar or a blue collar or a no collar, if you're a male or a female. It doesn't matter who you are, what you believe, what life stage you are in. We all agree on one thing pertaining to wisdom. That is we all want it, <laughs> right? We all want to be wise. All of us want to be wise. If this morning you're like, I don't know that I want to be wise. Like, come talk to me after because we've got problems. Like, we all want to be wise. None of us enjoys being considered the opposite of what is wise, right? No one likes being in that place. We all want to embody wisdom 
in our lives and do so well. Now, in our scripture reading, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, what we find is that even though every single person on the face of the planet desires wisdom, desires to be wise, desires to live and think in a way that we might live the best kind of life, we all desire that. However, it is far from agreed upon what a wise life actually looks like, right? We can't agree on that one. Well, what, what does a wise life actually look like then? You know, there are many different people that would define what a wise life looks like different from many other people. I mean, even in this room and for the folks that are streaming in online, if we were to take a survey and say, all right, write down, what does the wise life look like? I would guarantee there'd be hundreds of different answers, right? What is wisdom? Well, we're going to define that differently, right? Now, the Apostle Paul in our scripture reading gives us two different, what I would call, worldly definitions of what wisdom is. Worldly definition of, of what wisdom is. If you have your Bible, um, go, crack it open to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 again. I'd like you to just take a look in verse 21 this morning. Verse 21. And just listen to what Paul says. He's defining a couple different kinds of wisdom or interpretations of wisdom. Paul says this starting in verse 21. He says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. And then in verse 22, you get, here's the two different kinds of worldly wisdom that Paul brings to us. He says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom. That's actually two different forms of pursuing wisdom and the wise life. Paul says there are two different kinds of worldly wisdom in the world. There's the Jewish kind of worldly wisdom, and there's the Greek kind of worldly wisdom. Now, if we wanted to sort of contemporize, like, get rid of Greek and Jew, because that really is confusing for us in our modern day. If we were just to contemporize it a second, we might say that when Paul uses the word Jew, in this setting he is referring to a kind of religious wisdom. There's a religious worldly wisdom. And when Paul uses the word Greek, we might say secular wisdom. There's this religious wisdom. We would identify it wisdom and explain it and live into it out of this religious sense or this secular kind of wisdom. There's the religious wise person that we all know, right? Paul says the religious wise person demands a sign. That's the way he talks about it. The religious person in Paul's time would spend their lives trying to live their lives as morally good as they can, follow all the rules, all the religious rules, the best that they can, all while waiting for that sign. That sign when God is going to act, God is going to show up, and if I followed the rules well enough, well, then I get to be a part of what God's up to next. We call that heaven or the afterlife or whatever. That's religious worldly wisdom. And then Paul says there's a secular wisdom. There's secular wise people. And the secular wise person would be like the opposite of the religious wise person, right? 
the, the secular wise person would say, there's no belief in an, a, like some kind of eternal future. There's no belief in a heaven. There's no belief in a God. There's only the here and the now. And the here and the now is not that long of a time, right? Our lives are like less than 100 years at their best. And that's 100 short years. And we better fill those 100 years as fully as we can live those things out, right? It's like in Ecclesiastes where Solomon says, Life is short and then you die. Like that would be a secular form of this kind of wisdom. A wise life for the secular person then is a life that absorbs as much as that person can absorb into their lives to live life at its fullest. A religious wise person looks like following the rules as best as we can so we can absorb the good life heaven later. And then the secular wise person says, there's not a later, so we got to absorb all the now. Well, now is when we need to do that. Now, I would bet that every single person in this room and every single person streaming in online this morning, all of us favor one of those two in our lives. If you think about your life, what kind of wisdom do you most often embody? Would you be the religious wise type, right? You follow the rules and you follow the rules well. You want to be a moral person. It's a really big deal. That's like top of the list is making sure we follow the rules so that God will be happy with us and then we have that future later. Or would your life maybe look a little bit more like the secular wise person where you just need to absorb as much of life as, as you can, right? Right? You go after all the experiences that life can give you. You try to absorb all of it. You go out and you, try, you have to try the best foods. You have to have the best tech. You have to wear the most fashionable clothes, right? Like you have to absorb all of life. You have to experience all of it because when it's gone, it's gone. See, the Apostle Paul would say, hey, if you're one of those Greek wisdom people, well, you'd actually... If you're one of those religious wise people, they're, they're not that different, actually, Paul would say. See, neither of these things, Paul would say, depending on which one you would maybe uh, feel like you embody most, is really godly wisdom. Godly wisdom, the Apostle Paul would say, does not look like rule-following religion. That's not what the wise life looks like. Nor does it look like the here and now secular person kind of wisdom. They're, they're both missing something, Paul would say. At, at its core, um, godly wisdom looks a little different from religious worldly wisdom and secular worldly wisdom. You see, true wisdom, Paul says in our passage, it's not an idea, it's not an ideal, it, it's not this way that we should be, True wisdom, Paul says, is radically different from that. True wisdom is, well, it's, it's a person, Paul says. Wisdom is a person, Paul says. If you have your Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians again, uh, 1 Corinthians 1. I want to get us to verse 22 again. Just start there again. And I want you to pay close attention to this. So there's the two kinds of wisdom, right? There's uh, in verse 22, Jews demand signs, 
Greeks looked for wisdom, right? But then Paul goes on after that. There's another kind of wisdom here. He says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Wisdom is not awaiting a sign or your best life now. I hate to say it. That's not what wisdom is. Wisdom, Paul says, well, wisdom looks a lot like that. That's what real wisdom looks like. Wisdom is Christ crucified. If you want to model for what real godly wisdom looks like, look to the cross, Paul says. That's wisdom. That's what wisdom looks like. Wisdom is Christ crucified. And, Paul says, and it's foolishness to the world. Like that, being wise, doesn't make any sense to the world. Godly wisdom is foolishness to the world. Christ crucified, being wisdom. If you're outside of the faith, that doesn't make any sense at all. Christ crucified, that being wisdom doesn't make sense because Jesus went to a cross and then Jesus died on it. Like the Romans beat Jesus in that moment, like Jesus lost. How could that possibly be the best life? That doesn't make any sense. It's foolishness to the Greeks. Christ crucified is wisdom, Paul says. No, no, you don't get it. Like, that looks like wisdom, and it is completely backwards to the rest of the world. And, and, and do you know why that's wisdom and, and how our wisdom is not wisdom, Paul says? You see, if you're one of those, wis those religious wisdom people where you're the rule follower, you want to make sure that you're keeping God happy, you're going to follow all the rules and, and do it really well, and then you get to get to heaven, all that stuff— that focus of being the religious wise person, that focus is inherently a selfish one. That wisdom is about you at the end of the day. I'm going to follow the rules. I'm going to make sure that I'm a moral person. I do all the right things all the time so that, well, I get to go to heaven, right? And then I get to go to heaven afterwards. That is a selfish wisdom. It's about me at the end of the day. And for the secular person who, who follows the secular wisdom of the world, again, it's all about me. It's me culture. It's me focused. It's all about what I can get out of life or what life owes me. You see, at the end of the day, the religious wise person and the secular wise person fundamentally at the core are the same exact thing. Their primary virtue in life is a virtue of selfishness. It's about me at the end of the day. What do, what do I get out of it? It's all about the Almighty, me. And you see, that's why it can't be called true wisdom. Because it's not. And Paul says, there is a better wisdom in our lives. There's a better wisdom in the world. And that wisdom, Paul says, begins there 
at the cross. Christ crucified, Paul says. Jesus lived a life fundamentally unselfish. From day one to his final day, all of it was not about Jesus, nor was it for Jesus. Jesus, from day one, lived a life for somebody else. It was for the other. And then he would go to a cross, die on a cross, a bloody, terrible death on a cross. And he didn't do that for himself, folks. He did it for you and I. It's unselfish. It's a different wisdom in the world. You, you might argue that it's the most foolish thing in the history of the world and if you just turn it and you see it, it's also like, it's the wisest thing in the world. Christ didn't do that for himself. He did it for you. He did it for me. See, a self-centered life will never lead to the best kind of life. It, it promises to. If I follow the rules, then I'll live the good life. If, if I do all the things, try all the stuff, buy all the things, whatever, that will be the good life, right? It, it just won't. Morality and stuff won't cut it. True wisdom is the embodiment of Christ. If you want to live a wise life right now, you're going to embody Jesus in his life. And you're going to be selfless. You're going to model Christ crucified, giving of ourselves for the sake of the world out there. That's true wisdom. True wisdom is taking up our cross and following the foolish to the world, Jesus, to lose all of it the fastest. That's the wisdom of God. That's what wisdom looks like. You know, me culture, it's the culture that we live in today. And we might say, if there was a tagline for me culture, like this is fundamentally what me culture is all about, we would say life is about consuming and consuming and consuming and consuming, getting more and more and more. What's good for me? What's good for me? What's good for me? Get everything that you can. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to one of these birthday parties, but there's the pinata, right? The kids got the pinata. It's filled with candy. It's great. The kid swings at the pinata. Dad raises it. The kid looks dumb and everyone laughs. You guys have been here, right? You've done this before, right? But then there's the moment where the kid swings, pinata, bus wide open, and what do all the kids do? It's like Armageddon or something happens, and ah! like they're all diving down and grabbing as much candy as they can, filling their pockets as much as they can, because they got to make sure they get enough for themselves. That is what me culture fundamentally looks like in our lives, in our culture, and all of us are guilty of it. Hate to say it, folks. But the wisdom of Christ is different. If me culture says consume, 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 more, 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 Jesus culture says pour out, pour out, pour out. Give, give, give. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. Lose, lose lose, die to ourselves, right? That's the wisdom of Christ. And folks, it's a wisdom that if you look around in our culture and perhaps even in your families and my family, it's a wisdom that's in short supply because it's all about me, man. And Jesus says, what if we did it different? 
Like, what if it stopped being about us and became about them? Then we'd be living the wise life. No one else is going to embody that wisdom except those of us in this space, those of you streaming in online. People out there aren't going to do this. It's up to us. We're it. That's what we were called to do. What kind of wisdom, if you're to think about it right now, what kind of wisdom do you most embody in your life? Are you the religious rule follower? Are you the one that's just like, dude, YOLO, baby, we got to absorb it all and get it now while it's hot, right? Or, or are you the wisdom of Jesus? What are you? What's the aim of your life? You know, in a moment, we're going to head to the communion table this morning. And we're going to do something um, that is considered foolishness to the world in so many ways. We are going to come to a table and we're going to eat bread and we're going to drink from a cup. And, and the scriptures say that we're to celebrate that. And what are we celebrating? Well, we're celebrating that. We're celebrating the moment when Jesus lost. We're going to celebrate that. And the world looks in at a moment like this as we reflect on that and they say, you guys are fools for celebrating something like that. We're celebrating joyfully that Jesus lost. It's foolishness to the world. The cross isn't victory, it's defeat to the world. But we're going to go and we're going to celebrate this and we're going to see God's wisdom for what it is because even though, even though Jesus lost in this moment and perhaps that is foolish, his foolishness is the thing that gave us salvation and access to the Lord. And that's what makes it maybe the most foolish thing in the world and maybe the most wise thing in the world all at the same time. So we're going to do that this morning when we come to the table. We're going to do something foolish this morning. And I challenge you to, to just buy in. Go for it. Be a fool for the Lord this morning as we come to the table. Because there's a lot of people in the world that look at this moment and say, what in the world are these crazy people doing? Amen? Let's pray before we go to the table. God, we thank you that your wisdom looks different than the world's wisdom. We thank you that you're willing to do it differently. God, we know that if, if you modeled the wisdom of the world, we wouldn't stand a chance. But that's not what you did. God, you became a fool for us. We thank you for that. God, as we come to the table this morning, there are so many of us that come to the table and we feel broken and we feel um, like our lives are in pain or there's disorientation or it's just plain hard this morning, God. God, use your foolish act of the cross this morning and we just ask you to give us good news at the table this morning when perhaps our lives aren't filled with it right now. Fill us, God. Be present to us. We thank you that it was in your foolishness that we gained salvation. 
Help us truly reflect on that this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Hey, let me leave you with a blessing this morning. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord raise his countenance upon you and give you peace, church. Amen?